This is Mark's account of the triumphal entry. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the Lord. What did Jesus see just then? What did Jesus see? After Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, clothes and palms scattered in his path, Jesus goes to the temple, the center of the spiritual universe of his day, and Mark says, and when Jesus had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he departed. What did Jesus see when he looked at everything? If we believe that the ultimate meaning of God is love, this week defines what that love means for us. And it's a very different love than the kind of love our culture traffics in every day. In Jesus, we see one who dared to be all God created life to be in human form. And it has to be in human form. That's the only way for human beings like us to ever understand. For Jesus, his question throughout the Gospels is how do I make people aware of the infinite love of God in the midst of their broken and distorted lives? So what Jesus saw that Palm Sunday when he looked around was everything he was trying to heal and everyone God was trying to love. The poet Orson Shire is a Kenyan-born British Somali a few years ago, she wrote this poem. They set my aunt's house on fire. I cried the way women on TV do, folding in the middle like a five-pound note. I called the boy who used to love me, tried to okay my voice. I said, hello. He said, Warson, what's wrong? What's happened? I've been praying, and these are what my prayers look like. Dear God, I come from two countries. One is thirsty, the other is on fire. Both need water. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere. 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 <coughs> what Jesus saw 
Looking at everything in the temple that evening was literal human hunger that was devastating and spiritual hunger that was choking. Jesus saw people trying to manufacture their own salvation by a clever business arrangement with the temple or uh, with clever accommodation to the Roman powers or by blustery optimism, willfully just not looking at all the things in life that were hard and bad and tragic. In World War II, soldiers would check out library books in their local library right before going to war so that they would have the psychological responsibility of having to return them after their duty was over. They sought to escape the reality that they might die by thinking that they had to return the library book by a certain date. None of us here would critique that as a psychological trick. You do what you have to to get by. What Jesus saw was that just getting by ultimately comes up short of God's intention for us. What Jesus saw at the end of that parade was everything, everything the world was, everything that people needed, and everything that God had promised. The Gospels trace Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that culminates in this unlikely parade. At the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus comes out of the wilderness of temptation, wondering how he can spread God's word of love. He wondered if people would feel loved if their physical needs were met. Turn these stones into bread, the tempter said. Meet the physical needs, and then they'll understand that they are loved, but people who have full stomachs, we know this, still still have a radically empty feeling, a deep hunger for God that is not sated. Or meet them at the level of their ego needs. Bow down for me, Jesus, and you can have all the principalities of the world. The tempter said, meet their ego needs and they'll understand that they're loved. But there is not enough power or glory ever to satisfy the ego needs of one single person. We're never satisfied. We always want more. No matter what you do, there's never enough there to feel like you are whole. You're not even going to have that feeling of wholeness if you become religious. Cast yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple, for God will send angels to catch you, the tempter said, and everybody will see you have a special relationship with God. More evil has been done in the name of a special relationship with God than almost anything else. Being religious is not necessarily a step forward. So Jesus came out of the wilderness of temptation, not knowing quite how to live out the meaning of God's infinite love for us. He wanted to enable people to experience the holy love of God. And he knows some things he cannot do, but he has yet to figure out God's choice for what he should do. And so Jesus begins his public life trying to find a way to make this love known. And the first thing he does is talk about it to tell people about the love of God. And so Jesus teaches and he tells parables. He tells people that the love of God overcomes the barrier of human prejudice against those hated outsider foreigner Samaritans and to anybody else we would seek to exclude. He tells that the love of God is like a parent who has two children and both children go their wayward ways and yet 
The parent embraces them in love. And Jesus hopes that if people hear him talk about the love of God, they will respond. But they do not hear the love of God in Jesus' teaching. They hear all kinds of things. They hear a religious teacher. They think they hear someone who may have political aspirations, but they do not hear the love of God. As a teacher, Jesus failed. He did not accomplish the purpose for which he felt his life had been destined, given to him by God, to have people experience the infinite, unconditional love that God has for each one of us. So since teaching didn't work, Jesus decides to demonstrate the power of the love of God to heal that which is broken and distorted in mind and body. And we can go to the Gospels and we read miracle after miracle after miracle. That's what's behind these miracles. Jesus trying to demonstrate what happens in human life when love, infinite and powerful, embraces the brokenness of human life and calls it back into wholeness. Jesus hoped people would see the meaning of his life destined by God demonstrated in this manner, but they do not see. At best, they thought he was a wonder worker, and wonder workers in that time were a dime a dozen. At worst, They thought he was demon-possessed. As a healer, as a worker of miracles, Jesus did not accomplish God's purpose. So teaching didn't do it and wonders didn't do it, so Jesus turns away from the crowd and concentrates on his chosen band of disciples. And in every gospel, we get this section where Jesus is giving a crash course to his disciples about the meaning of life and the reality of God's love. He wanted to live with them and share their life so deeply that they would have some sense of the love of God for them, some sense of the power of God to call them to life and to love and to wholeness. And Jesus concentrates on them during the whole course of the remaining days of his ministry, and he failed. They kept arguing about who is the greatest and who should sit where. They failed to understand, and finally, when the chips were down, one of them betrayed him, one of them denied him, and the rest of them forsook him and fled. Jesus did not succeed in God's ultimate purpose as the leader of an intimate band of 12. And at some point, this dawned on Jesus, and he decided with God's guidance and the Holy Spirit surrounding him that he had only one door open to him, one way that God was leading him, if meeting purely physical needs or ego needs or being religious didn't do it, and if teaching didn't do it and acts of wonder didn't do it, and if an intimate community of disciples didn't do it, then he had only one option left. He had to live out in his own person the meaning of this love of God. He had to show how the love of God can take all the destruction and all the distortion present in human life and transform it and redeem it. He had to draw out of human life all the anger and vindictiveness, all the insecurity and fear and violence and brutality and abuse, and even let himself be victimized by it. And just perhaps, this was the everything Jesus saw that night 
in the temple. Passion, as in Jesus' passion, Passion Week, has the same root as the word passive. When we talk about Jesus' passion, we speak of a time when Jesus was having things done to him. There are many active verbs in the passion narratives, but the subject of those active verbs is very rarely Jesus. Others are active, acting on him. And so still perfectly obedient to God, Jesus walks toward his destiny. And when he is betrayed, the love of God responds by loving the betrayer. And when he is denied, the love of God responds by loving the denier. And when he is abandoned, the love of God responds by loving those who are abandoning him. And when he is beaten and crucified, the love of God responds by loving those who have beaten him and loving those who have crucified him. Dag Hammarskjöld was Secretary General of the United Nations 60 years ago. He died tragically in a plane crash while on a peace mission in Africa. He was a Christian, but that wasn't well known at the time. His personal journal notes were published after his death in a book entitled Markings. In it, he addresses this day in Jesus' life, a young man adamant in his committed life, alone as he confronted his final destiny. If God required anything from him, he would not fail. Only recently he thought he had begun to see more clearly and to realize that the road of possibility might lead to the cross. He knew, though, that he had to follow it, still uncertain as to whether he was indeed the one who shall bring it to pass, but certain that the answer could only be learned by following the road to the end. A young man, adamant in his commitment, who walks the road of possibility to the end without self-pity or demand for sympathy, fulfilling the destiny God had given to him. When we look at a portrait of Jesus on the cross, we see a portrait of a whole person, fully alive as he dies. Jesus, in that moment, is so whole and so free as God's beloved child that he spends his last moments on the cross living as if he had lived his whole life, giving away his love as he gave away his life. And so to the soldiers who've nailed him to the cross, he offers a word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To the anxious man dying at his side, he offers a word of hope. Today you'll be with me in paradise. To his bereaved mother at the foot of the cross, he is concerned about her well-being and entrusts her care to the one he calls the beloved disciple. As the angry crowd screams for his blood and taunts him, he responds with the dignity of pouring his life and his love out on them. Jesus hopes that people will be able to look at the cross and see the depth of the love of God present here. A love that loves you no matter who you are, what you have done, even if you betray or deny and kill the love of God. Even then, the love of God responds by loving you. And Jesus dies. And the whole world stands in wonder at that moment. 
Because if someone does not see in the cross of Christ the meaning of love of God lived out in human history, then Jesus would have failed. And living out that love would have failed as dramatically as his teaching failed and his healing failed and his life of an intimate band of 12 failed. And the whole world awaits that verdict. What is that verdict? That doesn't depend just on God, and it does not depend just on Jesus. That actually also depends upon us. What is our verdict? We are called to answer, to make response to Jesus living out of God's love. If you or I today do not see in the cross of Christ the meaning of the love of God lived out in human history, then Jesus fails today. God has done everything in creation to show us the power of God's love. Will we love? And will we love like Jesus loved? Failing every other attempt to reach people in the name of God, Jesus did not fail on the cross. He never failed to show us what love looks like lived out in a world like ours. So what's our verdict? The verdict we pronounce on the love of God as seen in Jesus of Nazareth is defined by the love we share courageously, boldly, in good times but also in the hardest times, in times of war as well as in the times of peace, in times of abundance but also in times of crushing scarcity in times of famine and injustice and terror and oppression, which we hear about, read about, or experience every single day. In times of comfort, yes, but also in times of great fear, with people who love us back and with people who do not love us back. And especially when that love costs us dearly. When we like Jesus on that Palm Sunday evening, look around at everything. Will we love? Will we love like Jesus loved? Each day is the most urgent moment when we return that verdict with one another and on behalf of this desperately hungry and hurting world. 